Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Daniel Sloss is only 25, but already has eight tours of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival under his belt, plus five appearances on American television via Conan in the past couple of years. How did he get so big in Scotland and around the world at such a young age? And why is his latest solo show called Dark Anyhow? Sloss sat down with me in the basement of the Soho Playhouse, where his first American run begins on February 9th, 2016. He'll play five nights in New York City, then take the 90-minute show out to Los Angeles for at least two performances later in February. So let's get to it! So Daniel, welcome to Last Things First, which is the name of my show. Oh, lovely. So Last Things First, uh, I noticed before doing this promotional bit for your, your U.S. run, uh, you, were, uh, you overtook a Twitter account for Sirius XM. Oh yeah, I did that yesterday, yeah. And the first thing you did was straight away started launching into uh, little known Scottish terminology. Yeah, yeah, Scottish phrases that I thought it was important that the rest of the world knew. <laughs> and by rest of the world, I mean the 9,000 people that listen to the Twitter uh, feed of Sirius uh, what's, XM. What, what's the first Scottish word you tend to get questioned about? Uh, well, obviously, can't means two very different things right between over you guys use the word over here the word can't it's very offensive <laughs> it's like uh you know stop the train offensive worse in the uk especially scotland yeah, yeah. I, I call my mom i can't she calls me i can't we're both a lovely pair of cunts yeah in casual conversation or even on stage it's yeah. that's still one of the words that yeah, stops yeah, yeah. people it's, and it blows my mind because it is in the uk well i say uk in scotland now i'm obviously very liberal with my swearing that's just who i am but um, you would use the term cunt as a term of endearment sometimes as well. I'd be like, I was the podcast. I was a lovely cunt, one of the good cunts, like really good cunt. So a cunt you'd like to go drink him with. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, I absolutely take that for granted. And then you come over here and you drop it and people just go. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, gee, yeah, of course. No, that's way worse over here. Yeah. Um, so that was another one. Ball bag is another one. What's uh, that? Ball bag is ball bag. Well, testicles ball okay. bag. We call someone ball bag. Uh, Shite Hawk is one of my favorites, though there's debates about whether that might be Irish. Uh, <laughs> is yeah. that a common thing, whether something is truly Scottish or whether it's Irish? Yeah, because my, uh, my Irish friend uses the word Shite Hawk a lot, uh, and I'm not sure whether, and I've started using it since, I'm not sure whether it was a Scottish word that he overheard, mm -hmm. but I just like the term Shite Hawk. What's the last phrase or, or term that you used on stage that you didn't realize you had to retranslate? For an American audience. Uh, oh, good question. Like I've been because I'm very good at translating in my head. Probably, um, you know, my I have to really watch my swearing because uh, mm -hmm. I, I swear a lot. That's just I mean, even in Scotland, I swear a lot for a Scottish person, but that's just that's how I talk. Um, and that comes from a young age when I was told not to swear, and I, I, I've got a problem with authority. So I'm like, <laughs> fuck you, like. If you're offended by words, I find it adorable. So, like, it's that's it's your problem. So I'll right. excessively swear. But the last thing, um, God, I think maybe pram. I don't know if you guys pram for I had to change to stroller. Okay. Like it's a pram. I know sometimes people just went. Huh? I mean, huh? Uh, <laughs> Um, I also have to, so yeah, I did, I did, I've done one gig in New York so far and I realized I had to, 
uh, tone down the full arrogance a bit because the audience <laughs> did not take it as full arrogance. Oh, they took it as real, real arrogance. <laughs> and they're like, who are you? You're just a kid. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of my, uh, maybe it's because it was like a 10 minute spot. Normally my, in my hour long show, my 90 minute show, mm. there's bits where I am, because I'm very confident on stage, but there's obviously a difference between co- confidence and arrogance. And I very much like to, I'm always confident, but I like to dip my toe into arrogance but then also very much justify it with, I'm an idiot, like I'm, I'm 25, I don't know anything about this world. Uh, but that, apparently that did not come across at that gig on Thursday. I think and they, yet, even at 25, you've done Edinburgh eight times? Uh, seven, eight, eight times? Uh, seven solo shows, but eight times altogether. So this year will be my eighth solo show, eighth hour. What was the not solo? I did one year, for, when I was uh, 17, I did a double header show, which was just me and a friend did... Uh, a uh, 15 minutes each at like a free show at half past 12 in the afternoon um and uh and that was in like a comp bunch of competitions that year as well was that your was. first year or no that was my first year performing there yeah yeah yeah. So how how did you decide at such a young age that you were going to jump into the maelstrom that's edinburgh in august uh well i lived in i've I'd be, I'd been going to the edinburgh festival since i was like 10 years old just okay. like watching um and the comedy scene in scotland isn't huge so when the Edinburgh festival yeah you have to do it like it's there's like 400 shows on a day like it's the if you want to get stage time that's the that's the place to go and just really really uh do as many gigs as you can so uh yeah which is not doing the fringe in august if you live in scotland it's unheard of like you that's the it was that's the dumbest thing you could it's the biggest arts festival in the world (laughs) but but when you were so if you started going to see shows when you were 10 so when you were eight or nine what did you think did you already know that i wanted that you were going to be a comedian no 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 even when i said i went to the festival uh, i wasn't performing right you were spectating yeah 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 um no no i didn't even realize until i was 16 that i wanted to do stand-up what did you think you wanted to do? I think I, I think I think I wanted to be an actor. Like okay. I was because I made, I did a lot of acting on like stage acting, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed making people laugh. But I hated the serious acting. I hated the bit where you had to be serious. I hated the fact that I couldn't tell how well I was doing with an audience because the thing about acting, you never know how well you're doing until the show's done. Whereas comedy's instant. Right. So whenever we were doing comedy stuff, I really liked that because I was always able to tell, like, oh, this is you know this is an instant feedback, therefore I can go with the energy of the audience. It was so obvious for so many years that I wanted to be a stand-up comedian to everyone else apart from me. <laughs> like, I watched stand-up since the age of five years old. I was obsessed with it. I went to see so many shows. I went to the Fringe. Yeah, it wasn't until I was, and I was funny, and I liked being on stage, but only liked making people laugh. I didn't like sharing the stage with other people. Yeah, for several years, I was like, oh, I want to be an actor. No, you now, dickhead, you want to be a comedian. So what was the first moment that it clicked with you? That, uh, that, oh, I need to be solo on stage um, telling my own material. Uh, I just think when I was about 16, I think my dad was like, would you ever fancy giving stand-up a go? And I, I think the thing with stand-up, well, maybe back then, it never occurred to me that stand-up was a job. And I think that's the case for a lot of comics, is you never watch a comedian on TV and you never go, oh, that's something I could do. Like that's that's an occupation. Yeah, that's an occupation that people have. It's um, you fill out taxes and you yeah, you just you expect to just go through life. And I think when I was like, "Do you ever fancy giving it a go?" And I was like, "Oh God, I really do. Like I really, really 
do want to give that a go. Uh, and then I just started writing for a couple of months, just myself, and sort of sharing my jokes with my dad and stuff. And then uh, got a gig. And how how easy or difficult was it for you being sixteen to find stage time initially? Um, quite difficult. I, fortunately, there was a big uh, Scottish comic called Frankie Boyle who um, I met and was very supportive. He got me in with the Stand Comedy Club, which is like the big comedy club in in Edinburgh, and they gave me my first spot. And they were very supportive, and he was very supportive. Um, how did how did how did he get wind of you? Uh, my you- he was doing a corporate gig for my mom's company, like the company my mom works at, and mm-hmm. she just said, was like, "My son wants to be a stand-up comedian." Is there any chance you can ask him, like, give him an email? And he was like, sure, if he wants to just come hang out with me during the festival and I can show him the ropes. And she was like, that's more than I expected. Yeah, great. Right, that's more than anyone would yeah, expect. Yeah. And Frankie's huge. In the, like, he is the biggest Scottish comic uh, apart from Connolly. Is he that nice to everybody? Or uh, would, I think so. Your mom just catch him on a good day. I don't know. Well, the <laughs> thing is, he's, he's very famous for me. He's a very uh, offensive, and oh, people at home can't say I do doing air quotes there. He's <laughs> a very offensive comic. Uh, gets in trouble all the time in the UK for a lot of jokes he makes, but it's just a genuine uh, sweetheart. But after that, my mom had to, once I got bitten by the bug mm-hmm. and very much realized, I was like, oh, I need to do this for a living. My mom had to buy me a fake ID because <laughs> uh, there was obviously some bars that I couldn't get into to perform because it was, was How 16. old do you need to be? 18. Scotland, yeah. I mean, you can drink from the age of fucking 12 if you're, you know, if you know where to go. <laughs> but to be on stage and to get paid to tell jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some places. Now you need a rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there's licensing laws. Yeah. <laughs> so what was the, f- so the first time you performed at Edinburgh was as a doubleheader. Yeah. What did, what was that experience like for you to be on stage after having grown up with it? Uh, it was it was not like the thing I'd grown up with. I mean, you grew up watching right. stand up on telly, or even the times I was at the festival, I was gonna see. Sh- I was I was normally going to see late night late night shows, late night comedy shows, like ones that started at like eight or nine, or and it was compilation shows and or or occasionally the odd solo show. But all the shows, all the comedy shows I'd ever seen were in theaters, and it started about eight p.m. Whereas this one was a free show at twelve thirty. Like uh, in the afternoon, the show you were doing, yeah, the double header, uh, free show at lunchtime. So we were just getting people on their lunch break, but it was great. Like it was, it was a rammed room every night. We managed to fly her properly. We managed to get the audiences in. Um, well, that's what I mean. Having having grown up around it, mm. even just as a spectator, did you have a better? Did you feel like you you knew what to expect in terms of how to fly her, yeah, how to draw a crowd in Edinburgh? Yeah, having been having been flyered every year uh, of my life that I've been going to the festival, uh, I went, for, me and my friend went for a tactical approach. We looked at people and were like, do I want you in my audience? Do you look like someone that would like, we weren't flyering everyone because right. we were like, it's pointless flyering someone that's going to hate the show. Like, I'm not going to flyer anyone over the age of 65 because really, statistically, they're not going to like my wank jokes. But you see... Uh, they, you don't, they, you didn't think, oh, they might look at me as a grandson. Yeah, but I also didn't want that because you never <laughs> want to hear about your grandson masturbating. <laughs> Uh, so, or your grandfather yeah 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 exactly so it, it works both ways right so we uh flyered you know if there was uh, a mom and a dad and with two kids we were like exactly my audience like the kids are between the ages of 13 and uh, 18 mm-hmm. that's exact and with the parents that's exactly the sort of audience i want seeing young kids uh sort of uh, any sort of middle-aged my audience tend to be from the age of 13 to 50 uh, and obviously there's fluctuation on either side of that 
Uh, but that was sort of our target. Would you demo. consider that first fringe a success? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I got stage time. It was only I only did a week run. I think it was only like ten days. We did. Uh, I loved it. I learned that I never wanted to fly out ever again, uh, and I never have. I've, ever since then, I was like, I was, I was like, even if I run at a loss, I will pay people to fly for me. I just for me, I know many people that are great at flying, but I was just like, I can't do that again. It's just, it was very weird to flyer. I'm very bad at selling myself. Mm-hmm. People are like, are you good? And I'm like, eh, I don't know. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. Like I must be. <laughs> Things are going well, <laughs> but like I, I, I can't, I can't sell myself. Um, that's why I, you know, have an agent and PR and stuff. That's their job. How it's a very British thing. It's, um, I can't. How quickly did were you able to get representation? Oh, that year. Really? Yeah, yeah. But that was a, a series of very fortunate events. Um, basically, I was in the final of a competition, So You Think You're Funny, in uh, the UK, which is one of the big new act competitions. Uh, one of the judges... Was that televised or no? No, 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 no. Okay. It's, no it's, it's just for... It's like you can only enter it if you've been doing comedy for less than a year. So it's probably like new talent. Uh, one of the judges is very good and old friends with my agent. So she was like, there's this young kid in this uh, heat who he's in the semis and he's probably going to go through to the finals. He's great. I then, my mom managed to pretend to be my manager and book <laughs> me on a gig that I shouldn't have got during the Edinburgh Festival. And I was opening, or I was on before a comedian called Jim Owen, who is my agent's mm-hmm. uh, client. So he saw me, he loved my set. So he was like, there's this young kid He's dead good. And then just coincidentally, I uh, flyered uh, my, uh, one of my agent's oldest friends in comedy, um, uh, a publicist. I just mm-hmm. flyered, in fact, I flyered his husband and I said, come see my show. And his husband came along to see me and was like, said to my P- uh, guy who's now my PR, was like, mm-hmm. there's this young kid. <laughs> and so in, th- in 10 days, my agent had heard that there's this young kid. And when she heard it from three people that she respected, she was like, I should probably go check this prick out. Yeah. And uh, she did. I uh, got the, the final. She came along and she was very much like, I don't sign contracts with people. Um, this is trust-based. Um, I want to work with you. I think you're great. But do you want to do something? And I was like, well, you know, I'm going to go see what's all the options. And then very much after just two fucking hours of being at this after party where people are schmoozing and all cards and stuff. I was just like, you just seem way more honest. Like this just see, as opposed to, you're going to be big. You're going to be a star. She's like, you have potential and that needs to be grown and not exploited. And I was like, that seems way more. And, you know, we've been together ever since. Never signed a contract. Never will. And I'll never leave her. So if, if your new agent and your manager who wasn't your mom mm-hmm. didn't want to exploit you, how did... How did you go about building a fan base? Um, just by out of Edinburgh. Uh, she, my agent. So the, the year after that, I did my first ever solo show. Mm-hmm. Uh, an hour uh, when I was uh, eighteen. She is just incredible at marketing. She is just one of the greatest living agents. Um, she's the only agent you'll ever see during the Edinburgh Festival up until one o'clock in the morning on a rainy Wednesday flyering for her own clients while all the other agents are in bars and drinking and schmoozing. Like, she works her ass off. Um, so that first year, she called in all the favours. Obviously, I was young, so there was a mm-hmm. good, there was a unique selling point. Young Scottish comedian doing first ever 
uh, solo show, sold out every day, uh, went well, decent reviews, um, wasn't a great show, but whose first show is fucking great? Bo Burnham, okay, fair one. Um, <laughs> right to get the big, uh, get the big Edinburgh Comedy Prize at the well, end. Well, no, so that was her thing. She was like, you. She was like, why, why don't go for the? What would you rather? Would you rather wait three years to do your first solo show and win the award, or would you rather, by the time all the comedians that wait three years so they have a good show, uh, to win the award, would you rather them by the time they're winning best newcomer or being nominated for it right. you'll have done four solo shows and i was like that makes way more fucking sense so all the comedians that held off and held back on i didn't want to do my first hour i didn't want to do my second hour she forced me into both of those things not forced but she was like i think you should that's how mm -hmm. you're going to become a better comedian like by doing a new hour every year and my first two such solo shows they were okay they weren't great um at points they were a shit who remembers them literally fucking no one nobody remembers those shows i don't remember those shows i have some fans occasionally be like i saw you like we've been to every one of your shows but i that was you know i've, I've now done seven solo shows right like uh, and i'm doing my eighth one this year at the age of uh 25 and it just like that's the experience i'm so grateful for because nobody remembers that stuff at the start that's a very british tradition though to do a new hour every year oh yeah it was like in really america but that's a long, you, for a long time, it was George Carlin was really the only one who was mm. doing a new hour of material almost. But every you don't year. have like a big festival. You don't have right. you know the solo. Th you guys, it's just the way your stand-up works. Is you guys work towards your half-hour specials and then your hour specials and then this and that, which is you know you work on your fives and your tens so you can get because there's more comedy. There's it, there's just so much more competition. There's so much more. Uh, and Americans are working the road a lot more. Yeah, yeah. So because, and there's so, they there's don't have so time to build to a new hour because they're doing that hour yeah. for a year and a half because they across the country. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but that's why it was funny, you know, when Louis C.K. and uh, who I, Louis C.K. is one of my absolute faves. Uh, I can't believe I just said faves. Um, <laughs> favorites. Jesus Christ. See, you're becoming American. You're becoming uh, accustomed no. to America. <laughs> oh. <laughs> When he was like, oh, I write a new hour every year, every American comedian was like, oh, my God. And everyone in Britain's like, yeah. Like, that's, yeah. Right, that's like, what you do. That's what you do. That's so comedy. What are you, what are you guys talking about? You're just working on fives and tens all year? Right? Is, um, that, is that because of Edinburgh? Absolutely. It's, it's absolutely because of Edinburgh. Because the comedy scene, as you've said, is not as big in the UK. So we don't have that. You can be a road comic in the UK, but you're only ever doing 20-minute spots. Headline spots are 20 to 30 minutes as opposed right. to here, which is 40 to an hour. Um, so, you know, you've just got to work on you. And I, I respect the American system a lot more than I expect, respect the UK system. Because in America, the way you guys do it, it's like, okay, you've, you've got a good five minutes, now get a good 10 minutes. You've got a good 10 minutes? Here, come on this stand-up show and do 10 minutes. Come on this stand-up show, do five. Every week, there are about seven or eight late-night stand-up spots where stand-up comedians get to be stand-up comedians and do stand-up comedy. In the UK, it's the opposite. Oh, you've got a good hour, you're good at stand-up for an hour, present this, be on this panel show, host this. There are very little stand-up shows in the UK, just stand-up. Live at the Apollo, live at the Palladium, Russell Howard's Good Newsweek. That's it. And those are once a week, uh, if that, and they only go for a six-week run six shows right there is so little stand-up just opportunities for stand-ups to be stand-up comedians in the uk and that's why i think a lot of the time stand-up comedians in the uk become personalities and i that's not what i want to do i don't like i respect the comics again i'm very bad at panel shows 
you know, because I enjoy talking for mm-hmm. an hour as opposed to um, but yeah, that's why I kind of enjoy coming over here a lot more because they're just like, oh, you're a comedian, be a comedian, <laughs> uh, which sounds so simple, right? But the BBC cannot get through that, that through their skull. Well, I mean, even James Corden wasn't a stand up, he was an actor, yeah, but he was so versatile that he became a a panel the person and yeah, a panel yeah. host. Yeah, yeah. Because that's where the, and that's now where the he's money a, is. And now yeah. he's a late night host here in America. Yeah. Um, I, and I know, I know, I know this whole industry on one side of things is, you know, it's about the money and the viewership and I understand why that happens. But from my experience on both sides of the pond, I find the American system a bit more supportive of and respectful of actual talent. They, I'm not saying there aren't people that don't exploit it or do use it for that. But from my experience with all my times on Conan and stuff, where they, they genuinely just cared about the talent. They were just like, hey, you want to do what you want to do, you do you. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do? And we'll find a way to let you do that. Whereas in the UK, you've got people who've never stepped foot in a comedy club in 17 years telling new comedians what their audience want. And it's like, you're not allowed a fucking opinion. <laughs> you're not allowed an opinion on what's funny. You haven't, you don't. You, it's BBC are the only, well, not the only, most British uh, TV. You have people telling comedians what's funny. And you're like, what are you fucking on about? You don't get to tell me what's funny. <laughs> you get on stage, then I'll resume. Mm-hmm. From, and maybe this, I've just been very privileged over here. Right. Maybe I've just been lucky. But this has been a place where they're like, oh, what do you want to do? What's funny? What's funny to you? We'll find a way to right. make that. Um, Did you find starting out young that people also told you that you didn't know what was funny because... You haven't lived. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There was a lot of time, but they were right. They were like, "You don't have life experience." And I remember the time being annoyed because that wasn't something I could help. I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> like what do you what, like? What do you want me to fucking do? Lift more? All right, that's what I'm, I'm. I'm currently doing your advice by living more. By, um, but they were absolutely right. I remember the time it annoyed me, but yeah, I had no life right. experience. Like, I still don't. Like, I've got obviously a lot more now. I would argue that I've probably got more life experience than a lot of 25-year-olds um, just with, you know, my job and traveling the world and the things I've gone through. But then there's other parts of my life that I've got zero experience in. Um, but, yeah, yeah, absolutely. My younger, my younger material was, it was just porridge. It was, there was no substance to it because how would there be? <laughs> like, what, where was I going to get all this life experience in... Uh, and all these opinions from if I didn't, you know, live in the real world. Right. Uh, but it's, it's you didn't join the military or no, God, get a wife and no. kids and yeah, God. Oh, no, I'm very glad I avoided <laughs> that 25 single, and I intend to be for a very long time. The first time I heard of you was at Montreal just for laughs. Yeah. And just like you said about your first Edinburgh experience, before I even saw you perform, I heard from at least three different people at the Hyatt telling me, oh, you need to see Daniel's Lost. You need to see him. Yeah. He's this kid, but he's brilliant. You need to go see this. I was like, who is this kid? Why do people keep telling me I have to see this kid? Yeah, I've got no idea. Uh, but <laughs> thank God they did. Thank God they do. Um, How old were you the first time you went to Montreal? Uh, the only time I went to Montreal, I was uh, 20, 21. 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20. Um, yeah, it must have been 2021. 20, um, you did Abs. that before America, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah. It was my first. Yeah, Canada was uh, well before I did America. Oh, God, I fucking love that festival. 
Oh, I loved it so much. Because uh, I got to do my solo show there. Um, you know, I, did, I didn't go over to the spots. I went over and I did a... I mean, I still did some of the spots, obviously. But I got to do four days of my own uh, solo show. And I, 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 prefer, I prefer doing an hour or 90 minutes. I just... That's, to me, what stand-up is. Because uh, then you get to be you. It's honest. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's being a comedian. It's standing on stage and talking to and with people for you know an hour an hour and a half and like you said they can understand whether your arrogance is real or faux yeah whereas in a 10 minute gala spot or or a four four minute gala, i find right. it so difficult to be funny in four minutes because you're like you're not you don't know my tone right how am i going to set up my tone how am i going to set up you really need to watch me for you know a bit to understand that it is this it's it's arrogant it's not it's it's, it's self-loathing mm-hmm. but in an arrogant way it's the british sort of uh you know the very down my look, i look down my nose at myself and yet you've done conan five times yeah. now which is a four five minutes five minute tops yeah yeah yeah, yeah four yeah. minute spot no cursing no cursing um, and you're scottish talking to a, an american audience yeah for four minutes how do you adjust well, the guys at Conan are just amazing. Like mm-hmm. uh, JP Bart, the guy that books it, he knows. Yeah, JP's great. Uh, and he knows comedy. Like that's one of the ones where, in the UK, when you do TV shows, people again who have never stepped foot in a comedy club will be like, "Oh, we we don't know if that's funny." I'm like, "Well, it is. I've done it. I've done that joke a hundred times, and it's always funny. So don't ever question me ever again." Uh, whereas over here, if JP goes, "I think this bit's a bit stronger," you go. Oh, well, you obviously, like, he's, I've seen JP in so many comedy clubs. There's, I can't name a comedian that he's not heard of or seen more times than me. Mm-hmm. He knows comedy. So, to me, that's why it's way easier to do Conan, because JP knows, not only knows your material, because he comes and watches you, he knows what works in the show, right? He's, he's been booking the show for ages. He knows what works. He knows what's funny. And uh, it's, an, it's an opinion I genuinely uh, respect. So, with him... We just sit, we'll Skype for about 20 minutes if I'm overseas. I'm like, what do you want to do? And I'll go like, oh, I want to do the gay penguins bit. And he's like, all right, yeah, how does that go again? And I'll talk him through. And he's like, well, you obviously, you can't do the bit about throat fucking a penguin. That's obviously a no, no. And I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Can I do the bit about hand jobs? He's like, nope, not at all. And I'll be like, oh, can I open with a bit about why Spider-Man's a sex offender? He's like, yeah, yeah, that works. I've seen that work. That's a nice way. Um, and it's, it's fun to develop spots with him. And then, and then because he, if, J, if JP goes, that's funny, you go, oh, it must be funny. Like right. it gives me confidence in it and in that four and a half minutes. How did you approach that first set though? That um, first Conan set? Oh, Being I just, a young stranger. I went, I was like, right, best of. This has got to be the strongest set because mm-hmm. especially back home, I knew there would be a lot of uh, raised eyebrows of, oh, Sloss is doing Conan, is he? <laughs> uh, but also because it was a new audience, I wanted to just, you know, prove that I deserve to be there. Um, so I got like all my favorite one-liner jokes from over the years. But, but also had the advantage of I've done a stand-up in America before. That means I can do use jokes that I've, first time I did Conan, I had six years under my belt, mm-hmm. so it's six years worth of material. Um, so I just went and I was like, right, what's the best jokes about me? Set me up, set up the premise, set up my accent give them time to adjust, set up my tone. Uh, and there's always one joke I put in every single TV spot because I know they're always going to take it out, right? I always put in a joke that I know the uh, 
you know, trading standards, whatever it is, mm-hmm. are going to be like, can't use that one that way. They feel like they've done their job and they leave the rest of the set alone. Right? That's how it works in the UK. You put in one offensive joke mm-hmm. and they'll be like, no, you can't say that. And you're like, oh, you did your job. Good job. And they go. So, to leave the rest. Yeah. And I put that joke. A in. sacrificial lamb. Yeah. And I put that joke in and JP was like, great, love it. And I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, love the whole set. And I'm like, whoa, wait, 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 wait. You saw the, uh, the abortion joke, right? He's like, yeah, it's great. And I'm like, I couldn't, I could do the abortion joke on TV. He's like, yeah, of course you can. And I'm like, oh. And if you watch my first set again, I laugh all the way through that joke. I cannot believe I was allowed to say it. Because it's not an abortion. It's just a very clever joke. But mm-hmm. people hear the word abortion and they, you know, right. just press the giant offended button in their head. Uh, was that your first time in America doing Conan? Or had you been um, to the States before? I'd been in the States once before to do Setlist. Okay. Uh, did the TV version of Setlist. That's the Troy Conrad and Paul Provenza. Paul Provenza and Babs Roman, yeah. God, that's a fun show. Uh, so did they, they did that on television in the UK. Yeah, yeah, but I did the... I was, I was away uh, when they... I think I was in Montreal when they were filming it in London. Okay. So I had to go to the uh, LA one. Um, because I really wanted to do the show because I loved the show uh, and, and you know they liked me doing it uh, and it was also a chance to come over to LA and you know that was when I was getting uh, an agent over here and stuff so we could just tie it in with meetings and stuff so your first experience in America was in LA yeah uh, New York oh what? no no I've, I've been to LA I've been to America before sorry oh yeah I've, what got, was I've, I've got cousins from uh, Maine Okay. So from the age of like six, seven, I've been coming over to the States. Okay. Uh, but that was my first time doing comedy over here. What, what was your, as a child visiting relatives, what was your impression of America? Uh, big, uh, friendly, just, just like hot. I mean, it was always summers I came over, mm-hmm. loved it, water parks, uh, just friendly. Yeah, it was, I really loved it. We used to. It's just every day we're in the pool, which is, you just got to go outside and it was hot. Yeah, no, I loved it. Very friendly. Um, I never really went to big cities. Yeah, just a big welcoming. Right, because if you're just hanging out in Maine, yeah. it's, but we that's are, almost Canada. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also, I went to on school trips to, uh, I've been to San Francisco before. We went to wherever Sugarloaf Mountain is. We went snowboarding there. New England, yeah. yeah, and a bunch of other places, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, great, really loved it. And then when you came back, your first time as a comedian, did you feel more comfortable than most a British bit. acts who come over here? Well, I knew because you knew, and I knew my accent was fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I uh, obviously sometimes I talk a little bit faster, but because in my early on in my career as well, I've been doing you know Europe and Australia and Southeast Asia and stuff. Um, so I was used to slowing down my accent and uh, having a bit more diction and, you know, learning how to change out colloquialisms mm-hmm. and, and things like that. So, yeah, way more confident with that. Um, also, I, you know, I make my cousins laugh all the time. I'm like, yeah, the American. I don't think there's that much difference, sense of humor-wise, between the American. and I think humor is universal. Um, so I was never worried about that. And also, I was just excited. Like, it was like, like I'd never done it over here before I was like god you guys have, you guys haven't seen me before I get to go on I get to do all my old you know my material I get to come on with you get to revisit old jokes but with the new sort of passion right like, I'm just like hey you guys have done. and then find out what works and doesn't work did you, you did you get any advice from other British acts who have crossed over here uh, yeah I 
first time I was doing comedy clubs over here, I messaged Jim Jeffries. I was shit in my pants. I was like, Jim, I'm about to do uh, comedy works in Denver. in Denver. And he was just like, it's one of the greatest clubs in the world. Like, you'll have no problem. And I was like, yeah, but like, what shit? He was like, it's one of the mates comedy club. Don't <laughs> think of it as a comedy club in America. Mm. It's a comedy club. And I'm like, what about, he's like, mate, <laughs> shut up. And he was right, just a... F- and when I first did that, like, yeah, I quickly learned to swear a little bit less or mm-hmm. when I, or, or just bringing the swearing more gently and just let them know that I'm aware that I swear a lot. But swearing to me is not offensive, so you shouldn't be offended when I swear because it's just, it's, I used to have an old line, which was, I'm from Scotland, and we swear so much in Scotland, oh, on the keyboard, there's no space bar, it's just the word fucking. Uh, it was just very simple. But yeah, mm-hmm. so let them get into it. And just, it was allowed more time to relax on stage and just uh, find my voice a little more. The audiences over here are a lot more patient. They trust you a lot more. They, you walk on stage over here, they're like, you're going to be great. Like, why, why would you not be? You don't really get that as much in the UK. And the theme of this hour that you're doing a run in New York and then going out, taking it to LA yeah. is darker. I mean, it's in the title. Yeah, we, we originally called it dark was because in the UK we were sick of people calling my comedy dark. Like to me, dark comedy is brilliant stuff like Jim Jeffries, like Stanhope. Yeah. To me, it's dark. And <laughs> when people start calling me dark in the That's UK. That's one way to describe Doug Stanhope is yeah, dark. <laughs> yeah, but it's definitely dark. Yes. Um, <laughs> and people kept calling me dark in the UK and we were like, no, you guys. And it's people who don't watch comedy. If you're not comedy literate or uh, watch a lot of it then yeah, you would misconstrue certain types of comedies. So like, oh, it's very dark. He's talking about religion. You're like, no, oh, no, no, honey, you know, not even close to dark. So we originally called it dark just to, one, as a little joke of like, look how tame this actually is. Right. Uh, but also to stop people who are easily offended coming to the show. And then just through sheer coincidence, the show actually did end up being a little bit darker than my previous years, um, which I very much enjoyed doing. But it's not to say that it's like, oh, God, it's really deep and introspective. It's like there's a, a joke where I talk about putting mouthwash on my dick. I have 20 minutes on tampons. <laughs> like, but then I've also got 15 minutes on why there's no God and 20 minutes on death. So it's Right. I mean, it's a mixture of dark and... Yeah. And then you have mouthwash to clean it all off. Exactly. So. <laughs> well, I guess that's part of like adding your life experience to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Too. And this is the thing I really, I really enjoy about this show. I mean, I've not done it here yet. It's going to be interesting to, you know, go from the UK where, you know, it's sold out audiences just because that's where I'm from. Mm-hmm. I have my stature over there. And to here where people don't. For a second, I thought you said you had a statue. Statue where I have my statue <laughs> in Edinburgh. I made it myself, solid gold. Um, but you know, stature. Stature, yes. yeah. So people know me over there. So they come to the shows, whereas nobody knows me over here. So, you know, it's going to be, it's probably not going to be sold out, which I'm very used to. Like I've been gigging in Australia for years and I understand, uh, you know, it's about building an audience. But it's, I'm looking forward to sort of going back to that sort of thing and just, you know, really having a more intimate gig but i'm also very confident with the show like it's, it's this last year's show dark was the best show i've ever done but it's now combined with the previous two years as well mm-hmm. so it's like literally it's all my favorite jokes in an hour and a half okay. and I got, I got to do it in london last week and it was just the f- most fun i've ever had on stage 
like real. I'm just like, oh, this is so easy. Like, it's just, it's all my favorite jokes. There's not a bit, because any, any joke that I was like, that sucks, I've been it, and then I bring in a joke that I thought was amazing. Right. Um, did, you, did you ever have to work a, a regular job? Or because you started at I, 17? No, the only job I ever had, I was a paintball referee for a year, which was awful. <laughs> a paintball referee. I guess it's better than having to clean up after the paintball. Oh, no, we also had to do that. Oh, yeah, no, the, okay. It was a full job. Like, it was you, you came in, you set up the whole thing, and you mm -hmm. took it all down at the end of the day. Uh, and I was very good at it. Um, I, you know, I took it seriously. Um, but, you know, you just, you're getting shot at by a bunch of drunken Scottish pricks. <laughs> when, did you, when did you quit that job? Um, what was going on in your life? So I got that job when I was in about sixth year, so my last year of high school, which was also when I started stand-up comedy. And uh, I think it was coming up to the Edinburgh Festival, and I was like, I was like, I'm not going to be able to. It was only working at weekends, because right. that's when it was on, and I wasn't going to be able to do it. Um, Your shows during the day, so you can't. That's, yeah, that's can't, prime paintball hours. Prime paintball hours. So, so you I couldn't have do to it. miss work. Um, and then, I was just, and then I was like, realistically, I'm going to start getting weekend gigs more now because my career is going up. That's where all comedy gigs are. They're going to be in different cities. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just had to call it. And did they know that you were a budding? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. If anything, that Tom working that job really helped. Like I was 16 years old, 16, 17, and I was taking out groups of 40 men mm -hmm. between the ages of like in 21 and 50 and they weren't going to respect me like they're not going to listen to a little excuse me guys okay so the rules are uh, they were never going to they were never going to respect me based on authority mm -hmm. so I very quickly learned if I can make them laugh they'll okay. listen like if I if I just buddy them if I'm just this fucking funny kid they'll respect and they did so they were your first audiences in a way yeah 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 very much yeah uh, and, and, and yeah it definitely helped I got a lot of tips because I was the funny marshal and you've never had to look back and think about like another another way of life. Oh, whenever people ask like, what would you do yeah. if you couldn't do? I would have to kill myself. I would genuinely have to. I've got no transferable. There are people with degrees that cannot get jobs in this current economy. Like I have, I have no transferable skills. Like this is all I've done. I have nothing. Couldn't, <laughs> nothing. I mean, to you could go back to the paintball. Yeah, I've, 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 I, I, I've just become too spoiled now with this lifestyle, waking up at one, mm -hmm. doing an hour's work maximum every day, being able to call people decades, just be, yeah. uh, turn up to work hungover, drunk, stone, whatever. I've, yeah, no, I've, I've lived, I've flown too close to the sun. <laughs> As you fly this close, what is the, I know you've gotten advice from Frankie and from Jim. Um, what's the last great advice you've been given that you've incorporated into your um, life's work? I mean, it was a while ago, but just just keep enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Like, there was points when I was getting annoyed and I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. And I can't even remember who it was. Oh, I, I probably just a collective of comedians over time just been like, you gotta love this job. Like, you really look at what you do. Like, if you're, if you're ever on stage having a good gig, just take two seconds. Just take two seconds while the audience are laughing and just really, really take in what you're doing. Um, and I now try to do that at every gig. Just to, to take a couple of seconds just when the audience is laughing to just stand on stage and just remember back to when I was 16 years old 
or when I was 12 years old and I was in a comedy, cl- comedy club or watching a show, watching a comedian on stage, trying to go back to that moment or go to the moment when I was like 17 and I was just desperate to get any gig, any time, any place when I was 19 and I was dying on the hall at the fringe during a particularly bad gig and I thought it would, you know, would never work out when I was making the decision to not go to university. Just take two or three seconds to just go, ha! I've done it. Like this, this was the dream. Like I'm, like I'm literally living it. Me, and my my friend and support act Kai Humphreys have a game called Living the Dream, mm-hmm. and just it, and it works. You've got to do it on both sides of the spectrum. You've got to have moments where you look around and you just go Living the Dream. So, for example, we were at a comedy festival in Austria. Mm-hmm. It's a snowboarding and comedy festival oh, okay, yeah. uh, called Altitude. So you snowboard during the day, and then you gig at night with just ridiculous lineups like Jim Jeffries was there this year uh, so we're, me and Kai are just sat on the top of a mountain in Austria on the Alps just snowboarding down at the bottom to go do a five minute gig with Jim Jeffries we're smoking a joint and we just look across the Alps and we just yeah. look at each other and we go living the dream and go living the dream but on the other side of things uh, three o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday driving between Leeds and Liverpool and we have to pull over because our car fucking tire burst and we're eating in a service station just shoveling hot, greasy, horrible food into our fucking mouths. And we're miserable. We just did a gig to 17 people, um, which we didn't enjoy. <laughs> and and we're sad. And we just want to be home in bed. We just go, living the dream. You go, living the dream. Like, the, like <laughs> this is, at the end of the day, this is what I wanted. Yeah. This is what I wanted. Uh, and you've got to do it both sides. So if you ever walk, walk off stage after a death, my favorite thing whenever me and Kai have a bad gig, we walk off stage after a bad gig, and the other person's just standing there going, Living the dream? You go, Yeah, living the dream. Yeah, yeah, I guess I am. Yeah, it beats paintball referee. And does pe- beat paintball referee. Tips aren't as good. Now, uh, on the flip side, if somebody's mom comes up to you after a gig and says, I've yeah. got a boy who wants to do this, what's. One, do you do you do the same thing that Frankie did and, uh, and take the yeah. email? And then if you do, what's the first thing you tell? No, I tell him to fuck off and this is my industry now. Uh, no. Yeah, no, I absolutely... That's, that's a fair answer. That's a fair answer. We have a no. surplus of comedians. Um, we need to get rid of some of them. We do. We need to look. We need, I'm, not, I'm not saying genocide. But if we could just all discuss a way that we could get rid of some of us. No, no, I'm, I'm absolutely the same. Uh, and not just Frankie. I would not be where I am today in comedy if it was not for the many, many comedians that took me under their wings and supported me and gave me the kick up the ass I needed to, gave me the smack back down to earth when I needed it, the support and the everything, the opportunities that I probably shouldn't have gotten, but they trusted. Yeah, I, I absolutely pay that back. Um, now I support as much young comedy as I can. Uh, any new comedians that I can, I'll, I'll let support me on tour because I'm like, when Frankie let me support him, how big a deal that was and just getting the stage time. Um, get any advice, letting them come and hang out. And just treating them like human beings. Like That was one of the things that really helped me in comedy was being treated as an equal because there's you create such a hierarchy in your head as a young comic when you watch these great comedians and even just other comedians. You see comedians that you think they're circuit regulars or they're... You know, they've been on it for three or four years. It's very easy to create this false hierarchy in your head of like, oh, they're there compared to me. Whereas when you suddenly get into, when you're in comedy after a certain period of time, you're like, oh, we're all just, oh, it's all just an office job, isn't it? We're all just peers. Um, and I think it's important with the young comics to just make sure that they understand that there is no hierarchy, that there is no, and anyone that says there's a hierarchy, 
is lower down in the hierarchy that they've created in red. <laughs> like I, I, I still have moments like when we were in altitude. One of my favorite moments. I was there with my mum and my dad. Mm-hmm. I brought them over, and Jim Jeffries came up and spoke to me as a peer. Was just like, "Hey, Sloss, how you doing?" Which at the time I was just like, "This is a comedian I've watched from the age of twelve with my dad, and having him talk to me as an equal." Just in that moment, I'm like, "Oh, of course! Like, why wouldn't he? Like, we've." we're all in the same trenches right. right we've all fought the same battles um so yeah just really just just get drunk with them like i really enjoy getting drunk with comedians is just my favorite thing <laughs> in the fucking world any new comic i'm like any advice i'm like no no advice just come get drunk just come sit down and get drunk and laugh and just really realize that you're in the best industry in the fucking world that's true well daniel you know this has been uh living the dream living the dream living the living dream, the dream. So thanks for living it with me. Thanks for having me, buddy. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave. Logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.